Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The average American has five to seven accounts, and that could be a lot to remember. As our guest Brian Hamilton says, it's a cognitive load and creates financial anxiety. However, when it comes to saving money, the secret is to work with what you have and create some healthy saving habits. Learn about this process and how you can work to save at least $6,000 this year right in this episode. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Welcome back to the show. It is so good to know that you are here. There is undoubtedly a lot of uncertainty in the world. And you know how important saving money is, but when it comes down to the actual act of saving, it can be a really tricky thing to master. If this is at all resonating with you, I need you to know that you are not alone because living life is expensive and it's easy for saving money to fall very far down on the to-do list. 
Our guest, Brian, he's the co-founder and chief executive officer at One, which is a digital challenger bank focused on restoring financial health for middle-class families through innovative credit and saving products. In this episode, Brian is sharing how you can automate your savings to take that conscious decision-making out of the process and a few other super stellar tips on your way of saving some serious cash this year. By the end of this episode, you'll get your brain fired up to create healthy saving habits. There's obviously still a lot of uncertainty in the world. And I know one of the biggest money lessons I've learned over the last two years is really how important and I think kind of life-changing savings can be. And to me, the idea of having savings is just you have you have options in life. But the reality is that finding money to save can be really tough, even if you do make a good income. So I think the first question to just kind of start out the conversation is, is it possible for anyone to create savings no matter what their situation is? I think it is. I think you're right that it can seem hard, right? It can seem daunting, especially if you're relying on yourself to consciously do so every day. Because uh, humans are not the best um, <laughs> at, at kind of making those logical decisions in the moment when there are a lot of other factors and considerations involved. And I do think it is possible for pretty much anyone to begin to create savings. And a lot of it just comes down to automating it, right? Taking it out of something that you have to think about doing every day and, you know, attaching it to each time you spend or each time you earn, there's some automated behavior that's kind of happening on your behalf. And even if it's just small dollar amounts, they can add up relatively quickly. And in an emergency, you know, sometimes a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars goes a really long way as opposed to nothing. And uh, I do think it's possible for pretty much anyone to start down that path. You bring up a good point about human nature is if we're, if we have the decision point where we're making, whether we're going to save this money or spend this money, we know human nature, a lot of the times we end up spending that money or if there's money left over at the end of the month, it's kind of like this black hole that just happens and and money kind of evaporates. Uh, is there like a, maybe like a mindset shift or just something to, to think about when we're looking at that option of, of saving that money versus spending it? Like, how do we tell our brains, like, this is something we really want to do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of this is societal too, right? We've been taught that spending money is a, is a good thing. And the more you spend, and in many cases, it's like the rewards or the points you earn are then available for more discretionary spending. And in a lot of ways, it's uh, kind of the reward system that we've taught our brains that that's, that I'm, that I'm creating something that then I can spend on more things. And a small shift there, like becoming proud of or aware of having some savings and potentially what it will do for you, mm. um, like particularly if you have a family or other people that depend on you and you feel really good when you notice each day and you go look like, oh, I saved a few dollars, whether that's an automated thing that you had set up or you did it deliberately, you know, kind of taking pride in that. And then what that can do for you, like a peace of mind, if you will, for those that depend on you when you need it, it becomes a little bit of a badge, right? That like, right. look what I did. And that's there for when I need it. And I think there has been a little bit of a shift very early in the pandemic. There were some articles that came out, people saying that, you know, saving is the new spending, but people realized that there was this more fundamental economic uncertainty than than they had really assumed, right? Like people took for granted that everything was just going to be the way it was. My job was going to be really stable. There weren't going to be pay cuts. But then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and people realized that 
things were a lot less stable than they thought. And that cushion, that peace of mind, like knowing that you're putting something away can be very reinforcing to behavior as well. But it's a it's a shift, right? It's something that you need to focus on as um, as a good thing and a reward as opposed to just, hey, look, I have more money to spend. And I think it's what's so fascinating, if I can use that word even, of, of the last couple of years through the pandemic is none of us saw this coming, of course. And this is something that just globally, and we're all in that same position. And uh, even our you know, parents and grandparents, maybe who, who aren't alive, haven't quite lived through this kind of weird uncertainty. Maybe they lived through Great Depression or or something else, but this very weird kind of global thing that happened to all of us. And I know there's been so many different money lessons that kind of have just emerged over the last couple of years. Curious from your point of view, are there any things that really kind of stand out to you as maybe money aha moments or money lessons or just things we need to remember about the last couple of years that we've been through? Um, yeah, a couple of specific moments. But first, just you're absolutely correct that a lot of people had really never experienced what an unexpected financial emergency meant, uh, right? Many of us have, for sure. But on uh, on average, it's been pretty stable for a number of generations. And we didn't go through a Great Depression. There was a little bit of a financial crisis, uh, you know, in 08, 09, <laughs> which definitely had some impacts uh, on people, but it was nothing as, you know, as widespread um, as, the, as the pandemic and some of what had been caused there. And a lot of times you can hear the advice like saving is good and you should save for a rainy day or have this money for an emergency. And I like to joke about myself, like I've gotten lots of good advice in my life, but I tend to remember it when I learn the hard way. And and that, <laughs> you and that, means, <laughs> and that means that you actually got it wrong. And, oh yeah, lots of people told me I should be doing that, but then it happened and I went, oh, this is what it feels like. And this is really why I should be doing it. And I just think that that kind of more tangible and real experience um, really helped it sink in for people that this is, you know, it is an important thing to have a cushion and to have some emergency savings or at least access to money in case of an emergency. Otherwise, you find yourself in a really tough spot. And I think there are a couple of learnings just to go back to your question. One is savings. And the other is actually access to affordable credit. Like a lot mm, of people yeah. take for granted, like, oh, I have some credit. But then you realize that you have to carry a balance for a few months because of an emergency. And you realize you're paying 29% on that or something. And that's a very expensive source of cash in an emergency. And the amount of interest you end up paying there could have been more hundreds of dollars that you would have had available for an emergency. And so I think there's um, a couple of things that I've taken away in the last year. One, it's not just cash in the bank. It's also some of those other shock absorbers like access to affordable credit, not just a credit card with a really high interest rate if you carry a balance. Um, others are automated behaviors. Uh, as I mentioned, I think people realize that um, it's really hard to do these things in the middle of an emergency, right? Like if you're right. standing there making a decision about where to spend, it's really hard to remember your future self, right? Because your current <laughs> self, your current self has a problem that they need to solve. Um, and even if it's just five or 10 cents on the dollar that you might put away, it's not top of mind for you at that moment. Uh, and I think that that has really, you know, kind of borne out in the last few years and people really had that lived experience that then they, they realize, oh, this is why that's so important. Right, exactly. It's yeah, it's that future self thing that we have a really hard time <laughs> yeah. keeping at the front front of our mind. Uh, you've been in the financial world for for many years. You were executive at Capital One, and and now you started um, a really amazing company called One last year. And I'm just curious, what makes you so passionate about helping others 
figure this all out, like figure out how to save money and really restore this idea of financial health? I mean, I didn't come from money, right? I've had a pretty average middle-class upbringing. Uh, you know, parents went through some challenges when I was in high school prior to going to college, right? Lost jobs and you know, bankruptcies and things that were due to illness. And you realize that a lot of the things that people take for granted, like not everybody has, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to uh, do what I've been able to do in my life, uh, but it, it really hits home for me in that even people that go to college and have a degree and have done all the right things in life are often living paycheck to paycheck or feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck because it's really hard to get ahead. Uh, and a lot of the existing financial services and products that are out there aren't really helping that much, right? They're not necessarily egregious or maliciously unfair but they're not really helping you out that much. I mean, traditional banks, for example, pay you, you know, point oh nothing on your savings and charge you 25 to 29% on any unsecured debt, i.e. credit card debt that you hold with them. That spread is massive compared yeah. to how banks make money. And it's the equivalent of, you know, yeah, you know how to swim, but you're getting in some trouble and your banks are throwing you rocks, right? And it's it's not, um, you know, it, it's in... It's an easy thing to get passionate about when you're familiar with the people that it's helping. And certainly if you have had that experience, which I think most people have, like there are some very fortunate people that have never really had to want for money. But I feel like the overwhelming majority of us have been through times like this in our life. And sometimes the little things matter a lot. And when you wake up one day and realize you had six or 700 bucks in this you know, automated savings pocket that you didn't yet almost forgot about, and it really helps you, that's a pretty powerful moment. And so I think there's a there's an opportunity there to have impact on real people in real life um, with what would otherwise seem like kind of, you know, minor changes to the way a product works or the financial incentives work, but they can over time be pretty powerful. And I think it's so interesting that for, for so many years, we just as a society kind of went along with the traditional ways that you did money, the traditional ways that you had a credit card or you had debt or you used a certain bank account. And then it feels like really over the last five-ish plus years, somewhere in that range, there's been this huge shift. And I know a large part of it is just the technology is kind of caught up with allowing this shift to happen. But what are your thoughts on really this kind of dynamic shift that's happening in the financial world where people are like, yeah, we we don't want to bank at a bank that then turn around and invest in fossil fuels. We don't want to invest or, you know, we don't want to put our money in a bank account where we're not earning anything on our savings. Like there's starting to be the kind of these light bulb moments that are going off for people. And I, I'm just curious, like how this all started to happen. I mean, I think there are a number of trends there. One obviously is the internet and digitization and digital identity, right? Like you used to, it used to be really hard to switch banks. You had to go to your bank and pull out physical cash and have all of your paperwork and go to a different bank and sit down with somebody for an hour and open a bunch of accounts. <laughs> and, and that, you know, it's hard. It's it, the people are, you know, generally sometimes lazy when it comes to that. It's like, do I really need that extra half a point of interest? This is a big pain in the butt. Uh, what has happened, obviously, and this is not specific to finance, but the ability to digitally identify you or digitally open a bank account in you know 30 seconds to a minute because you're able to do these things online now. And then obviously the digital movement of money to fund that account and use that account. It, those things have all been happening you know, over the course of the last couple of decades, but they're really at a, a turning point now, right? There's an inflection point now where partially accelerated by the pandemic because uh, you know these things already existed. 
But now the pandemic happens and nobody wants to go to a branch. The branch is closed. You don't want to touch money. Money is dirty. You're going to be a physical place with a bunch of people. And it <laughs> turns out that turns out that digitally signing up for a bank account is you know, really convenient. Um, and then the, the flip side of that on the kind of industry side is that without all of that physical branch infrastructure and without all of the legacy systems and paying for all of the people to stand in those branches and all of those things, you're able to, from a digital infrastructure, provide better economics to the customer because I'm not paying for branches. I can give you a much higher yield on your savings, right? Because we're not paying for all of that legacy infrastructure and all of those people. I'm able to give you a better interest rate on the credit, right? Or because I can see your digital footprint a little more accurately than just a point in time credit score that they pulled. I can give you more credit at a better price because of some of those digital technologies. And I think all of those things together add up to um, a lot more choice for consumers today with just better economics in the financial products themselves. It's definitely an exciting time. And it's exciting that out of something of a negative world experience, you know, it's it's cultivating, creating this change and also making it socially acceptable. Because uh, I remember even just a couple of years ago when I would uh, do interviews on this show, there were a lot of listener questions still about the security side of a digital bank. And there was a lot of fear of of switching. Is my money secure? Is it you know, I mean, fill in the blank with all the all those questions. And I feel like there's really, at least in the last few years, been a shift where people are like, no, okay, it, it's safe. And, and I, I want a better option for my money. Yep. And security certainly was a concern early on. Some of it founded, some of it unfounded, a lot of the way these digital pro- products work. There really is an FDIC insured bank behind the scenes where the money sits, even though the company you're interacting with and the the, uh, the digital application and the brand that you interact with is a fintech brand. It is just as safe as it was sitting in a traditional bank. Um, I also think that there's just a more of a leveling of the risk there where you're willing to do everything else in your life digitally on your phone, give away all of your personal information in many cases to these social platforms, but you didn't want to leave a few hundred dollars in a digital bank account. And I think people are finally realizing, well, like, okay, wait, I had that a little bit backwards, right? Right, Um, exactly. Like we're not, we can't, we can't hide anymore. They, our information is everywhere. Let's, let's be realistic. Well, I want to dive into some of the tips that you say anybody can do to save at least $6,000 this year. And I I love that because, I mean, that's a significant amount of, of savings. I, I don't know what the the stat is currently, but I remember at least last year or the year before, it was something like most Americans didn't have more than $400 saved for, for an emergency. And obviously, we know that's just that's just not enough. Stuff happens in life and we have to have something there. So thinking about this, you know, how do we really ramp up our savings this year? Where do we start? What are we doing? We, we just touched on one, which is step one is probably switch banks, right? Like look at the digital products that are available that help you automate um, these healthy savings habits that give you a better return and incentivize you for doing so. Um, you know, obviously there's, can talk a little bit about what we've done in, in our product to help do some of those things, but whether or not it's ours or somebody else's, there are options out there. And I think step one is to just go look and, and find some of the things that are going to be a better economic value for you. But then more practically from within those products, there are a couple of specific things that I think are really easy to do. Um, and there's a number of products out there that offer them, but one of them is automatically saving when you earn, which is a no-brainer. Like there's been a put a little bit of money in savings when your paycheck comes in 
you know, that's an idea that's been out there for a long time. A lot of people have to manually set that up from their paycheck and manually create a transfer at a bank. And it's kind of pretty deliberate. It's a lot easier now to go in and, you know, click a button that says, turn this on and say 5% of every paycheck. And if the product's good, um, some of what we do at one is incentivize you with like a 3% return on anything that you contribute from your paycheck or contribute from card spend. And so you're, you're making that a really powerful incentive by giving the highest yield for the healthiest behavior, which is automating what comes out of each paycheck. How does that work? Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, it is called autosave. And if you turn it on, you pick a percentage and it automatically comes out of each paycheck when it hits your account. And then we put that savings, that contribution amount in a 3% high yield pocket for you. And we incentivize the contribution behavior. So automating that behavior with every paycheck, you set it and forget it, you know, wake up a few months later, you got a few hundred dollars in there you didn't have before. <laughs> you know, you wake up at the end of the year, you have a few thousand dollars in there you didn't have before. And we've heard great responses from customers who were like, wow, I've never been able to save this much. And it's not really an earth shattering concept. It has existed in some form in the past. It's just making it easy and and, and really making the incentive powerful for people to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So any, any other tips we can, we can use? The other one also in the autosave category is while you spend money, right? So card roundups is a pretty common feature, right? Lots of digital platforms have them. You round up your, you know, round up to the nearest dollar and put it in a savings account. You know, even Bank of America had a version of that and or still does. Um, the challenge is what do you get in that account? And so you round it up. It's still your own money. Um, but you're still getting, you know, less than 1% interest on it. And so we use that same 3% incentive. Uh, for anything you contribute from spending. So we'll round up every purchase uh, to the nearest dollar and put that change in that same 3% high yield pocket. Right? And so that that grows a little less quickly than full percentage points of your incoming paycheck, but it's still a great reinforcing behavior. And as opposed to something like points and rewards that you earn, which are then really usable for other discretionary spending, you're, you're building savings and that has a different kind of intrinsic reward, right? And it also is um, one of the higher yields you can get. So it's automating contribution while you earn money and automating contribution while you spend money in, in often very small amounts, right? Pennies and dollars and single percentage points of your paycheck, but they start to add up very quickly. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features and view the product roadmap. This 
my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless... 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works you sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. DeleteMe is not just a one-time service. DeleteMe is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for DeleteMe, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your DeleteMe plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. 
J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. And this may seem like a very obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I'm sure there's somebody listening who really wants this question answered. But let's say we're looking at a traditional bank and we're looking at their savings account. And I don't know, maybe they're paying 0.0.2, maybe 0.03%, something very small. And so then we're comparing against a bank like yours that's paying a much higher rate for uh, for that savings. So in the long run, again, very obvious question, but I'd love for you to kind of roadmap this out for us. In the long run, why does that matter? Why does it matter if you're earning more money in your savings? Yeah, I mean, compound interest is a really powerful thing, right? <laughs> and depending on what that interest rate is, like right now, that's pretty flat, right? The pandemic brought bank rates down to close to zero. And so although we're paying, you know, 3% on the, on the contribution account in ours and banks might be paying 0.2 or 0.4, um, that's still relatively low. And, you know, historically, interest rates tend to be a bit higher than they are now. And so as some of those things start to correct, the compounding of interest becomes more and more powerful. Uh, but it is a very powerful concept, right? And that is, you know, there is a, a quick example would be if you put um, the average American earns about $60,000 a year or something, I think is median income. And if you save roughly 10% of that, uh, you'd have, you know, $6,000 a year. If you put that into a basic stock market return or something in a normal average interest rate environment, a little higher than we are now, and you did that each year, uh, you'd have a million dollars by the time you retired. If you started when you were 20, you'd have that when you were 50, right? And that's nice. that's a really powerful concept. And that is saving things like, you know, 10% of your paycheck, right? It's 10 cents on that dollar. It's not putting half your paycheck away every time. And so there's it really does add up very quickly. Now, most people probably don't do that their entire life and never touch it. And there are other retirement, you know, um, things like 401ks with, you know, employer matches. And there's lots of other things that need to go into a full plan. But just the automated behavior and just the resulting compounding interest over time really does become a powerful concept over enough time. And what would you say to somebody who's saying, okay, great, totally, totally understand that, but still... The idea of uh, putting even putting money in savings when I am paycheck to paycheck, regardless of whatever my income is, still feels like something that's very, very tough to swallow. Is it just the idea of giving yourself permission to start at a very small amount of money? It could be a few bucks. It could be whatever that number is that feels comfy for yourself so that you, you just kind of start that momentum. That's exactly right. It's overcoming inertia, right? Even if it's one or 2% of your paycheck, you've started the behavior and it's happening, right? And you will, and you'll get some of that reward when you have that money, when you need it. Um, card roundups is another example. Like nobody really misses it if you round up to the nearest dollar on everything you're spending on your card, but it's happening automatically every time. And when you go look at it and it starts to grow, you're really glad it's there when you need it, right? Another important concept that I think is, um, you know, people begin to act irrationally right around zero dollars. You know, like, <laughs> like they don't actually make the best decision in their own economic interest, um, just logically, because there are other emotions involved. Like money is a very right. emotional thing. Yes. Like it is not a very logical thing, despite it being numbers based. It's a very emotional concept for most people, especially when it gets skinny. And right around zero, people will 
maintain high interest debt. Like they'll leave thousands of dollars on their credit card and pay, you know, 25% interest on that, even though they have some cash to pay that down. And it's something about the, you know, the human nature of just, oh, it feels better to know I've got the cash there, even though I'm paying this, you know, 50 or hundred bucks a month in interest over here on this other thing. That's okay. But that's really a bad financial decision because that hundred bucks a month, that's $1,200 a year you just spent in interest that would have been in your pocket and could have been emergency savings. And so I think that's the other thing that to be aware of is that it's hard to kind of trust your own instincts in a, you know, as you get near zero with, with money. And that's why some of the automated behaviors are so important, both on the savings side and on the credit side, right on, and on the debt side. And that's, those are things like automatically paying that down when, when money comes in, you know, having some available, not having it all maxed out, you know, being, being deliberate and making sure that that's not at some super high interest rate when you do have to borrow because of an unexpected expense or an emergency. And so the two things really are kind of two sides of, of the same coin. And sometimes people really focus on one half and forget about the other half. And it turns out that the math kind of washes the other <laughs> half out, right? I'm super, super passionate about the um, teaching about the emotional side of money. Um, when I was a practicing a certified financial planner, that that was the game changer for people when they would understand the emotional impact on their their habits and the t- decisions they were making. Why do you think it is we don't we don't talk about those emotional sides very much? Like we just expect people to you know read a couple articles, listen to a podcast, whatever it might be, learn the how tos, and then just suddenly fix their behavior. Money is hard to talk about. Um, it's um, if you look at even folks, married couples, right. Have a, have a really hard time talking about money. It's this additional stress. Maybe you're not good at talking about it. You're afraid you're going to get it wrong. You know, everybody's expected to get it right <laughs> to pay for their, to pay for their, you know, family and their loved ones and to retire. And so there's a lot of pressure around it. And I think people feel like they, you know, they're shy because they don't feel like they know so much about it. And we actually did a lot of research when we were first building one. And one of the concepts in the product is a shared pocket, a shared pocket of money uh, where you can spin one up and we can both spend from it with our card, or we can both put money in and out of it for a specific reason. But you don't have to to go sit down at the bank with, you know, all of your life documents and open a legal joint account with someone. It's a more flexible way to share household expenses or say you have a roommate, not even a spouse, and you were never going to have a legal joint account. What we found in our in the research was that just simple communication about what's going on with shared money, something as simple as little texts of, oh, this is what that expense was for was much easier handled in that context than it would have been at the kitchen table talking about money hmm. because then it's this stressful concept that you've introduced into the relationship right? right and and so there were some really interesting insights in there about why um, money is hard to talk about and I think that people have a lot of you know kind of learned anxiety around that as well especially if you've ever gotten it wrong um, and as a result they kind of don't. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not helpful because then whatever those things are, you know, whatever you might have done, had you discussed it openly and learned about it, just you aren't doing it. Right. And I think a lot of that is changing folks like yourself and others. There's a lot of financial education out there. There's a lot of resources out there. Um, but, but learning about it is one thing. And one thing that I've noticed in my career in financial services is that you can have a lot of financial education available, but automating a single habit, and then just having it run for a while yeah. can often overcome everything you ever told anybody about money. <laughs> hmm. 
And and I don't know. I, I don't have all of the answers about why money is hard to, to talk about, but it's clearly such a central part of our society and how you are successful and or just comfortable, right? Like just comfortable getting through life. I, I used to joke early in my career when I didn't make very much money to the people who decided how much money I made <laughs> that uh, that money is kind of like air or water. You never think about it if there's enough of it. But right. below, a, below a threshold, it is all you think about. And so for a lot of folks that kind of live paycheck to paycheck or close to it, and these are folks that have college degrees and good jobs, but they, they're not really getting ahead. And that doesn't mean you have an extra abundance of it. And so it's always in your mind because if you fall below the threshold of, you know, rent and food, even for a month, you have some money, but it will like overshadow everything else in your life. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards We'll remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I think what's really interesting, what you're talking about, I, I share this message a lot that I think there's this idea out there that that building wealth, whatever that means to to any of us, is about, yeah, suddenly I'm going to double my paycheck or I'm going to win the lottery or something big is going to happen to me. But it really is in this these small shifts like we're talking about here with with your bank account you know are you just earning a decent amount on on interest is is a bank helping you automate these these saving habits it's these little shifts that then suddenly open up these opportunities to create more wealth uh, it's totally correct and to your point and and i think listeners should know this you know like the return on even a 3% you know savings account is not going to change your life it's important that you're making something, especially if you begin to develop a little bit of a savings balance, because otherwise you're, you're missing out on what can be you know, hundreds of dollars that you may need at some point or thousands of dollars over time. It's less about the return than it is about um, automating the behaviors, um, taking some things out of the conscious decisioning, because humans are humans and we don't always think about those things logically in the moment. Um, and, and just a few of those things or, or re- integrating some things that are fragmented right now. Uh, the average American has five to seven different accounts across five to seven different fintechs or banks for their credit, debit, savings, household account, 
you know, like you have all of these cards in your wallet, you have all of these different accounts with different support numbers and different payment schedules with different institutions. And just the cognitive load of all of that is a meaningful impact on your life and creates financial anxiety. Like, is it all flowing correctly? Are they all talking to each other? There's a balance over here that I should have paid with a balance over there. And so that was one of the things that we also tried to do at one was to kind of reintegrate that right to a place where it all just works together. So if you put your paycheck in, it'll automatically grow you a credit line at 12% instead of the 25% you would pay. So if you have to carry a balance on a credit line, you're not you're paying half the interest you would have paid. Or the example we just talked about, just by putting your paycheck in and automating a little savings each time and not thinking about it, wake up one day and you got a couple thousand dollars in emergency savings. But it's all in one place and they all talk to each other as opposed to you having to manually set that up and deliberately move money from this thing to that thing to pay off the other thing and remember to do the other savings thing. <laughs> and and there's a there's just a cognitive load there that when you take it away comes with some kind of ah, oh, that's that's nicer, <laughs> right? Like yes. those are some mental cycles that I don't have to spend thinking about money and you can apply them to life. And I think that's a real positive impact um, beyond just like this, the money you got back from a 3% return. Right. It gives you some some time back. And like you said, some mental space that you don't have to think about these things. They're, they're kind of happening behind the scenes. And so, yeah, you don't have those decision points where you're left with the option of, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to think about it, whatever it might be. And then maybe the situation gets a little bit worse versus that that automation point and those things all kind of flowing together. It uh, It just kind of takes a little bit of the human aspect out of it when we're talking about money. That's maybe not so not so bad of a thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we think about it as well. So, we've talked about a lot of things here. I, I if we were to walk away with kind of one thing to to remember about the power of saving money and how saving money could really transform us, what would you want us to just keep top of mind? Um, well, I mean, we did we did have definitely talked about it. You know, we have to save ourselves from ourselves. Um, automating the habits, right? Like developing a habit it takes a little while. Like if you have to consciously do it every day, it takes 30 days. Or somebody said that once. Um, but if you automate it, um, it can start happening immediately. And I think that, that that concept that, you know, thinking you are going to deliberately remember to intentionally do this each day or at each transaction point, you're just kidding yourself. <laughs> that is not the most effective way to begin to build financial health or, or develop these habits. The easiest way is to set it and forget it. Um, and that there are products out there that make that easier to do and that provide you a higher return and a better incentive for doing so than traditional banks. And so the step one is go take a look at those things because they're out there. They're, they're healthier, they're easier, they're digital, uh, you know, they're free to sign up for. So go find one and automate a little piece of your financial life and use some of that mental energy to do something more fun. So Brian, if we are just so excited about this conversation and we want to learn more about one, where do we go to find out all the information? Uh, yeah. So one uh, is the name of the company that we built and you can go to onefinance.com or one.app, you'll find us in either place, um, or on uh, Twitter at OneFinanceHQ, um, or any of our other social properties there. So yeah, look us up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good information out there on our blog and, and other third-party content too that's been written about this. You know, certainly we are one of a number of, of digital products that are out there. We think we've done a good job of putting these concepts together, but, but there are lots of 
of great products and lots of great financial information out there for people to make use of. I think my biggest takeaway from this episode is just that idea of automation. I know how powerful automating is, but there's also a bit of effort that goes into automating everything. I mean, we have to remember to automate things, right? In order for them to automate. And somehow it's like every decision point with money, it just, it it feels like another to-do. But when you think of this idea of automating and the power of automating, I mean, I'm super excited to kind of see, hey, how much could I save this year just by doing a few of Brian's tips and strategies And I think that the idea is you almost start stacking these habits on top of each other and it creates like this cascade of saving. At least that's what's going through my mind as as I'm listening to this conversation. I hope this motivates you to also think about that idea of creating healthy savings habits this year because I think it's from the habits that we really start to be motivated and we start seeing savings happening, which I know is then super motivating, just tells our brain like, okay, you're you're on the right path. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, share it with a friend or family member, someone who you know is also on the journey to save more money this year. And as always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as our sponsors who make this podcast possible. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.